Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Terry Plank, president of the board of directors of The Clergy Project. During our conversation, Terry talks about his journey from Christian pastor to atheist and the work of The Clergy Project which provides support and encouragement to former and current members of the clergy who no longer believe in the supernatural. Well, Terry, uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show and taking some time to to talk today. That's my pleasure. Cool. Uh, I'd love to start by learning a little bit more about your your background. Um, I know at, at one point in your life you were... Uh, a religious person, if I remember correctly. I would, I'd love to hear kind of the story of how you became religious and, and how you became non-religious. I see about a three-hour program. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, basically, I was not raised in the church. So when uh, I got married, my wife and I got met and married in about six months. And, of course, that quick of a relationship you don't know a heck of a lot about each other when it gets right down to it of course that was 53 years ago so it worked out fine but uh at that point it, it was a little disorientation uh, with relationship and what is life about and my family different than hers so she went back to the church of her upbringing mm. wasn't the same church but in the same denomination so and i followed along mm. and uh i was explaining this at a, a conference we had uh, with the american humanist association that it was kind of like i just jumped on this train you know the church train so to speak uh and there's kind of two tracks uh, i think of it for on the church train one is the dogma and all the teaching which uh, we all discuss a whole lot about but the other track really is uh, that of community mm. so uh I think we we think of the church and religion as a, a monorail rather than two rails. So it was that community that really pulled me in and got me interested. And uh, eventually, of course, and I did get caught up with a dogma. And uh, so I eventually became a, uh, an elder with that church, was the Church of Christ. There are three branches of the Church of Christ. There's a very liberal one called the Disciples. Mm. And there's one called Church of Christ, which is uh, conservative. Mm. And then there's a non-instrumental Church of Christ, which doesn't believe they should use instruments. Like Pepperdine, if you've heard of Pepperdine University, they founded that. Mm-hmm. So I got more and more involved, went to Minneapolis to do uh, work on an MFA and dropped out back there and went to work in a hardware company. And we moved back uh, to California eventually and uh, worked for Sears and Wards and in hardware. And then I got this brilliant idea that uh, I could combine my uh, theater work uh, with the BA in theater and acting and that sort of thing uh, with my, you know, faith. So I thought, uh, you know, ministries makes most sense in the world. Let's go do that. The uh, difficulty with that is that Pat had, uh, my wife, Pat, had uh, left an involvement with uh, a guy who was going to be a minister and didn't go to Bible college. Uh, because she just wanted to break out and move forward in some new ways. And uh, that's when she met me at Long Beach State University. Um, so when I wanted to do that, she was uh, freaking out. Like, I, I don't want to be married to a minister. <laughs> and the irony of that is the fellow she broke up with uh, became a high school principal. And I became uh, a pastor. So I went to a seminary, the Fuller Theological Seminary, which is in Pasadena. This is started by an evangelist, uh, Fuller, his name, uh, hence the, the name of the seminary. And it's a conservative seminary that uh, has all different 
uh, denominations that are part of it, conservative, everything from Episcopal to Assembly mm-hmm. of God, a broad variety, but a very uh, conservative environment and a very uh, biblically-based uh, study and uh, research-type mm-hmm. institution. So I studied uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew and New Testament in Greek. Uh, all of the work we did on the, in the New Testament and Old Testament was done with the original documents. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I could speak it, or anything, but we could read it. Mm. Um, and um, so, you know, through that process, I got deeper and deeper involved with the theology and understanding what, you know, uh, everything was about from the past. Uh, wasn't any questioning there. I know there's a lot of talk now, if you read some of the books on uh, uh, people that they call seminary cemetery, meaning they'd lose their faith there. Mm. But in a conservative environment like I was in at Fuller, that wasn't the case for anybody I knew. We had a liberal seminary around the corner called uh, Claremont, and uh, that was the liberal ceremony, or ceremony, right, the liberal uh, seminary, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we were totally tied into it. So my wife wanted me to go into the Presbyterian Church, because they were a lot more progressive than the Church of Christ, but uh, I I wanted to reform the church and make it more biblically based, well, not more biblically based, but more intelligently uh, directed, mm-hmm. you know, with more of an intellectual approach and a you know deeper grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I pastored oh, maybe three different, four different churches. Uh, one of those churches was in Venice, California, uh, which is in Southern California. If you know of it, there's a boardwalk there. So I used to have long hair and Birkenstocks, and I would preach the love of Jesus, uh, and we'd have a Sunday afternoon uh, gathering out there, and we'd we'd preach and talk, and so. Um, and then I ended up here in uh, Half Moon Bay area where we because uh, we needed to leave that area because uh, well I loved it uh, I think it was the best place I ever lived for my daughters it was really too difficult uh, with all the drugs and the alcohol and the the, um, the, the different um, groups fighting with each other there was a black ghetto a Chicano ghetto the the white ghetto over there in uh, uh, the marina right next to us, the all different types of spiritual dimensions. It was just a, it was a hard place. Uh, it was a street kind of life. Mm-hmm. So moved up here in this nice community mm-hmm. and uh, pastored a church called the uh, Coastside Christian Church or Coastside Christian Community. Mm-hmm. After remember that was thirty years ago. Uh, built that up, uh, but in the process. Um, all along, well, not all along, but from probably from Venice on, I had completely internalized the reality of the, the teachings of the Scripture. So I believed that uh, the things that were happening in the New Testament church should be happening in my ministry. Hmm. So I believed that prayer should be answered and that people should be being healed and that people would be coming in droves uh, to the faith if you preached right. So I internalized that. And thought there was something wrong with me. So, unlike a lot of people you will hear who, uh, by uh, um, study and realizing that that the inconsistencies of the Bible uh, are using uh, critical thinking tools and whatever else they they discovered, you know, God isn't real or church isn't right. That wasn't my progress at all. Uh, Mine was uh, weeping and crying that I couldn't. There was something wrong with me. You know, God, why, why is my ministry not being honored? Why, why can't you honor my ministry? What am I doing wrong? Well, you know, after a couple of years, it gets kind of old. So I began to uh, 
look more internally to find out, you know, what is it about religion, Christ, Jesus, whatever, um, that really is the most important part for me. And I realized that it was that sense of peace and inner uh, stability and strength. Um, and so I began to study um, alternatives to doing that. Uh, like First I started reading the Desert Fathers um, and all their writings about mysticism. And then I moved in uh, out from there to study the Kabbalah, uh, which is the Jewish mystical tradition. And there's uh, the Hindu tradition. And uh, I saw, sat, uh, sat Zazen for a while in uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Zen Buddhism. Uh, and what I discovered in the process was, wow, they all have this basically common thread. That's this The thing that's the same is really doesn't have anything to do with God. It has to do with what happens internally through meditation, through directing yourself into your own inner thoughts, you know, stabilizing those, looking out to others, learning, growing, uh, being com- committed to a community, to other people, and to their influence. Uh, those are the kind of things that brought the stability. Mm-hmm. So it was like, whoops. Uh, they all have uh, their belief on God, mm-hmm. And they're all kind of different, and they all have different religious practices, uh, and they can't all be right, but they all have this one common core. Hmm, must be a human experience, wouldn't you say? So, you know, the train got derailed uh, at that point. So, uh, you know, it just doesn't need to be a god. It, it's a human experience. And so, and when you begin to have these revelations internally, are are you still a pastor? Were you still? Oh yes, no, no, I was doing all of that up until the very end. Hmm. And uh, I was still passing that little church here in Happen Bay. And uh, I didn't really share any of that with anybody. It wasn't appropriate. I simply, I already had a part-time job uh, working in a, a retail store to supplement the, the income because it was a small church. Um, and so I just uh, resigned, said that I was going and had a job offer with them. And I went full-time back into uh, retail. Hmm. Um Interesting thing to me, I don't know if it's interesting to anybody else, but uh, when uh, the church tried to struggle along for a while on its own, but it just couldn't quite pull it off because you really need a central person to help facilitate things. Because we were basically a, a kind of a community where uh, I facilitated rather than, you know, led us, mm-hmm. the, you know, the pastor, mm-hmm. you know, preaching on high. Um, so when I, after I left and they finally disbanded, some of the people went off into the Assembly of God. Some of the people went off into Gurdjieff work, which is a, uh, uh, a Russian mystic mm-hmm. in a tradition. Mm-hmm. Some of them went nowhere. Some of them went to a, a, a charismatic Catholic church. Some of them went back to a regular church. Uh, they scattered, you know, 10 different directions, mm-hmm. which to me, I, I thought said a lot about the fact that the dogma is not what was so important to those people, which I don't think is to most Christians. Um, what was important was community, mm-hmm. fellowship, caring, sharing, being together. Because uh, I never really preached dogma anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I was basically preaching, you know, life and how to live well with each other and with the world. And um, so I think that for me, anecdotal evidence. Uh, it does bear out uh, what I think is true in, in most cases. I mean, we hear so much about the uh, uh, conservative evangelical movement and the right, and we read so much about the South and what it's like there. But, you know, that that's really only a small percentage 
I mean, you know, the the, the whole conservative movement mm-hmm. is, I don't know what percentage it is, but it couldn't be more than maybe 25% of religious, quote, people mm-hmm. who believe in God. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all the rest of those people. Well, they're in Episcopal church or sitting in Catholic churches, perhaps. Uh, there are all kinds of different places where they're in very liberal environments that mm-hmm. they don't preach this hellfire and damnation and, you know, kind of thing. What they're preaching is caring and warmth and mm-hmm. love and uh, generosity of spirit and mm-hmm. compassion and, uh, you know, helping, helping the poor, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. When, when you finally decided it was time for you to resign from the church, did you know that your belief in God was being was shaken? Um, and if so, did you feel guilty for not coming forward with your potential new identity, with your new thoughts about Christianity or, or religion in general? No, it was a great relief because remember, I was internally I was agonizing. Oh, what's wrong with me? So what I was discovering was you know damn thing wrong with me. <laughs> it, it's this belief system that that's the issue, not me. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was just a great relief, uh, and I never looked back. Mm. So I mean, I have any animosity towards it particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, um, our daughters were raised in the church. So when I came out, when I was probably around forty, somewhere along in there, um, would they have been forty? I'd have been older than that. Well, anyway, th- they were in their the thirties and whatever. They needed uh, to then face themselves. What do they believe? You know, where, where are they coming from uh, in their life? Um, and interestingly enough, um, they both decided that they didn't believe either. So basically, they have raised uh, their families, and their you know they have great relationships. And uh, neither of our daughters uh, would consider themselves Christians, mm-hmm. uh, except for one grandchild. Uh, the other, the other two are basically atheists. Mm-hmm. In fact, one grandson, when he was twelve, uh, figured out what it took me, you know, forty some odd years to figure out. All gods can't be correct from all the different religions, so it must be how you're trained. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he figured that out at age twelve. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you time afterwards to fully come out as a non-believer to your friends and family after after you had the the change of of mind, or was that something that you were very comfortable doing immediately? Uh, it was just something that evolved. I didn't feel like I needed to say it to anybody, or, or you know, in all my life, you know, until I've gotten involved with the clergy project. Basically, I just walked away. You know, I, you know, I didn't feel a need to mm. proclaim atheism. Uh, I didn't even think of myself as an atheist. I didn't think of myself as anything other than uh, a man who was free, mm. a free thinker, if you want to mm. use that terminology. Mm. Uh, again, there is a lot strong free thought movement, by the way. Uh, to me, I, I just moved on. Mm. Uh, but that's kind of how I am. You know, I, you know, I can go deeply into something, but I move on. You know, after I moved, went to, to the uh, into retailing, I went back to school and for two years and got a, a, a master's degree and became a psychotherapist. Mm. And then after some odd years of doing that, I ended up uh, starting a business uh, doing weddings mm-hmm. and uh, search marketing. So then I went into search marketing. So um, I kind of it's just kind of probably a lot to do with my upbringing. Mm-hmm. My parents, um, you know, I was born in 41. So they were struggling back there in Kansas. My dad was a teacher. My mother was trained as a teacher. Couldn't make a living out there, so they're moving all over the place. So I, I was probably in a different 
community every year or two mm-hmm. uh, until we moved to California when I was 11. But those formative years uh, was uh, moving around and you go from place to place and you set up your new life. So mm-hmm. I think some of that kind of set me up mm-hmm. for my whole life to be able to uh, go deeply into something, but mm-hmm. to be able to walk away you know, without any regrets or need to to belittle the past. Yeah. So I've never been one of those strong atheists that, uh, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, coming out of the crowd of, of the cloud of, of reason, you know, Dawkins and all those folks with great writing, an important thing to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we see how in some areas of the world religion is a pretty devastating effect and we would probably like to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. That was never my interest, yeah. particularly. So I never felt guilty or I never felt... Um, like I needed to proclaim it. Um, so if anybody would have asked, I would say I didn't believe in God. But, you know, most people don't ask. Right. So, uh, and I never shared it with no need to. Mm-hmm. And what was the change within yourself after after you left religion generally? You mentioned the word free earlier. What what sort of things were, were different? Did you feel free to, to think certain thoughts or do certain things? Or how did you change? Well, I think it's like, like you said, you, you, you know, you're free to uh, not have to rely on uh, some kind of a scriptural basis for life. Mm. You can, you know, but, but, you know, I don't think I really thought a lot about that. It's kind of like all of all of the work we do when we think about history, you know, history, when you talk about, when you go try to go to your memory, you know, most of the research is showing us now is that that memory is not very reliable, uh, that basically each time you want to remember something, you recreate the memory. Mm-hmm. So it changes so much over time. You know, it's been over 30 years um, I don't even know what kind of progressing I, I, I might have gone through because I can only guess at it from what I think mm-hmm. in my memory. But my memory is that I was then free to explore like I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was I was more free to explore like I was. Because right. remember, I was looking outside of traditional um, church mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, and I could then continue that. So now I could learn from every place. I could learn from the encyclopedia. I could learn from TV. I could learn from uh, other educational experiences. I didn't have to rely on the teachings of a scripture that was uh, laid out by a bunch of men, Mm -hmm. (laughs) many men, over a period of time uh, that, in my view now, is is the best and the worst of humanity. You mentioned the clergy project. Give a brief description of, of what, what the clergy project is and how it, how it started. What's the Genesis story? Mm-hmm. Well, the Genesis is kind of interesting. It started with um, uh, Richard Dawkins and um, um, Dan Barker mm-hmm. having a discussion and Reykjavik, I can never pronounce that, yeah. at a conference they were at somewhere over there in the Scandinavian countries, uh, talking about uh, Dan Barker's experience. He was a Pentecostal minister who had... Uh, left the face, become an atheist, and worked in a major organization called Freedom From Religion with his wife, Annie Laurie Gaylor. Um, So they had some discussions there. Uh, And then some research was done by uh, uh, Dan Dennett, Mm -hmm. who's a philosopher, and uh, Linda Lascola, who's a professional researcher. Mm -hmm. And they uh, don't really remember quite how they got into studying this, but they began to realize that there was an underbelly of the church and that that underbelly was many men and women who were functioning in the church but were not believers. 
Uh, so they began to do some research on that, published that research. Uh, Dan um, uh, Barker then, in relationship with uh, Richard Dawkins, began to realize, wow, maybe, you know, how can we help these people? And Dan had been uh, uh, gathering a list of ex-pastors for years and years and years. And uh, he took that particular list of his, and they began to go out and explore and bring in uh, other people. So they finally ended up with about 52 uh, men and women mm-hmm. that uh, were either in the church as unbelievers in supernatural, uh, or recently out, or been outed for years, what we would now call those currently in ministry and those who were former. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pulled those 52 together. Uh, Richard Dawkins supported the uh, founding of a website, public website, and then the founding of a private website, which uh, you have to be invited into, where most of the community happens. Uh, so they got all that established. Uh, the Dawkins Foundation continued to support uh, both of those websites. The Freedom from Religion Foundation handled all the financial uh, work, any, any donations, anything that would come through. They kept all the records until we became a 501c3. Mm-hmm. Um, so just about six months ago, uh, we finally became our own private 501c3, mm-hmm. and now we function completely on our own mm-hmm with all the finances and the uh, recording of it and the hosting of our two sites. Uh, But it was primarily the work of uh, Richard Dawkins supporting uh, uh, Dan Barker, facilitating and working with all his 52 uh, original uh, charter members Mm -hmm. uh, in forming an online community. So the primary way that TCP has functioned up until now is through that private community. So they set up a forum where uh, people could then go on and communicate freely and openly in a protected environment. So it's totally protected, designed the site so that no one could break into it. Uh, And then people, uh, at first, people were brought in without a lot of screening, uh, just general discussion and talk to figure that each one were uh, fulfilled two requirements. One, they no longer believe in the supernatural. And two, they were either currently or serving in ministry or were former mm-hmm. religious leaders. Mm-hmm. So we think of it now, we call it the clergy project, but the the better way to think of it is that it's current or ex-religious leaders. Right. Uh, so as that began to form and coalesce together, uh, we eventually had uh, some pretty good exposure by uh, two of our uh, members going public mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, one of them at the Atheist Convention, American Atheist Convention. Uh, and as they became quite public, and uh, both were kicked out of their churches uh, through the process, um, that would be Jerry DeWitt and um, Teresa McBain, um, we got a lot more exposure to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So we began to grow quite a bit from there. So from that 52, which was in uh, 2011, mm-hmm. Uh, now, as uh, 2015, almost to the month, I think it was last it was March in 2011. Uh, to that point, now we're up to 640 members, and uh, let's see, 86 percent are male, 14 percent female. There's 177 who are currently serving but do not believe in the supernatural, 
and there's uh, 448, which would be 72 percent, that are um, formers. And the formers can range anywhere from uh, somebody who left yesterday to somebody like myself, who's 74 years old and, and quit 30 years ago. And these people, when they come and they're accepted, they come in and, and they're interested in having online discussions and, and a safe place to, to, to communicate openly about what they're going through. Are they anonymous when they're doing that communication, or, do, or is their true identity revealed within the community? That's up to each person, but if, you, if a person is, is still currently serving, we encourage them to use a pseudonym. Okay. Sometimes they choose not to, to but you know, and that's their choice as long as they realize that they could be outed. Perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, but most of them will take on a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people like myself will go by their actual name. Mm-hmm. So it, it, we have a blend of both of them. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, very little exposure, or well, I shouldn't say very little. There's no exposure uh, unless somebody goes out and talks out in the world. So we, but we require them to uh, agree at the beginning to terms of use mm-hmm. that you don't reveal any other member, even if they're uh, already outed. You don't. You just don't reveal that kind of information. You ask them first if you want to talk about, right. even, even if they have been out for many years. Right. And so, is it a, a big chat room where everyone is communicating with each other, or is it is there more nuance to how the communication works? Let me share it with us our current, uh, um, the current use of it. Uh, originally, it was one uh, it was a forum that had. Um, uh, well, I don't probably don't even need to go into how, how that was organized. Let me tell you how it's organized now. Sure. Now we call think of it as an online community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a way to make announcements and that sort of thing as well. But basically, we have seven different forums on the site, and each forum is broken up into separate boards. We use uh, WordPress and BuddyPress, which many of your listeners will know about. Um, so each of the forums has a particular focus. Uh, like one of them is for support and encouragement. Uh, another one is um, uh, announcements for the TCP. Another one is on uh, thinking, acting, uh, sharing different things about religion and your background and that sort of thing. Uh, so of these different boards, we're able to uh, shape, uh, I wouldn't say shape the communication, but we're able to provide a platform mm-hmm. where some people might want to go on and just answer and, and support and encourage the people who are, are sharing a, a problem and an issue. Mm-hmm. Others would like to go on and discuss something of a recent book or you know, some theological idea or something that why we believe what we believe or don't believe or something about humanism or books that are available. Uh, so we have a lot of discussions that will go on about that. But the core, uh, the main reason for us existing is to support and encourage those who are currently serving. Right. So we, that's why the first board or the first forum and its various boards uh, is, is a focus on that. The various boards within it uh, there's one on family and communication, community. One on ethics. So different boards have a different shape. That way, people can find discussions that are going on and enter into them mm-hmm. and follow them over time. Uh, there's, a, there's a way with uh, with WordPress, BuddyPress, where you can subscribe to a, a thread mm-hmm. and then you receive uh, an email about it. So you can really keep pretty good tabs. Mm-hmm. Are there themes for people generally of the hundreds of people that are, are now within that, that database for why they left religion as a former leader within a church? Or are, is it 
difficult to find any commonality among many of them. Well, I think it really varies. I think I, I think it's just a huge breadth of, of how that happens, and not everybody explains what they've done. Although we do have a spot where uh, a, we have a uh, uh, profile mm-hmm. for each person, so they can fill out their story, so we can know where they came from and what the experiences they went through. But I mean, there, there are just all kinds of threads. Some of it would be like myself; uh, they simply. Uh, seeing that the faith wasn't working for them and trying to figure out why, mm. you know, uh, some of them was seeing the inconsistencies as they began to, to see this and, and see that the God of the old Testament is so different than the God of the new Testament. Mm. And that among the gospels, they, you know, they're all kind of different. They, they all have a different focus mm. and they actually have some conflicting uh, teachings, you know, so, you know, what's that about? Mm. Um, so some of them, you know, looking at those inconsistencies, uh, have then started studying and read to try to figure that out and, and realize now so, you know, there's something something amiss here. Uh, others have been exposed to uh, the writings of, of uh, people like uh, Erdman or uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse with Dan Dennett and uh, uh, Barker and uh, I've forgotten the other, other two right off the top of my Head here, but uh, many have just read recent writings uh, that have, uh, you know, dealt with the inconsistencies in the, uh, of the scripture. I'd love to know if there are maybe a story or two of people that come to mind as being particularly remarkable or potentially courageous that uh, have you've learned about of people that are either currently or former pastors or active members in the religious their religious communities who who left that really. Um, put a lot on the line to to tell the truth and, mm-hmm. and stand up for their their identity. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, this is a private community. I can't really you know talk specifically, but uh, I, I could refer to a couple who are completely outed that uh, you know listeners can go you know read about mm-hmm. too. So I, I'm not uh, uh, speaking out of turn by by mentioning them. Um, one would be um, a gentleman who has a, a blog called uh, Godless and Dixie. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Neil has a very interesting experience uh, of uh, having been outed by others. <laughs> and he actually is a teacher now, and uh, he had to deal with all those issues. Uh, but he has become a very strong uh, uh, participant now in the secular movement. Hmm. Um, not only with that uh, blog, but also with uh, freedom from religion mm-hmm. or recovering from religion. Excuse me. Uh, he's um, a group developer there and is working intimately with them and uh, their work of helping people who are not necessarily clergy recovering from religion is kind of a companion type group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have even have a hotline. Mm-hmm. Uh, 24-hour hotline where uh, people can call in and uh, discuss and share and talk with uh, uh, trained agents. Mm. Um, so that that would be one individual. I mean, Dan Barker is probably another good one that uh, is people have you know read a lot about. You know, Dan was a, a Pentecostal minister and he was a, a pianist, played for uh, a prominent Pentecostal uh, woman preacher, and uh, he left the faith and. Uh, began to, uh, to share his newfound atheism and eventually became part of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Uh, and he, with his wife, uh, who actually, his, her mother started that organization, 
they are very strong in, in uh, uh, you know, all, all the positions of uh, getting religion out of the schools. Mm. So they're really an advocacy type group yeah. um, for uh, separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. In, in relation to the, just the growth in numbers for the organization generally, do you, do you feel like that's happening because it's part of a larger momentum shift within the world and within the country? Or is it just that this is the first time there's ever been something like this where former or current pastors, ministers, et cetera, have a, a forum to communicate with each other? Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think it's probably a, probably a combination of things. Yeah. Um, be, because of the the explosion of uh, material, both uh, written and uh, online, with blogs and uh, forums uh, and websites and Facebook and all that, I think there is a um, an increasing awareness that these kind of issues are out there. Right. So I, I think part of it has to do with the internet. I think that's one of the threads mm-hmm. where more people can be exposed to different thoughts mm-hmm. and different experiences uh, and different teachings than what they've been exposed to before. So I think we were able to piggyback on that, of course. So I, th- I think part of it is the work that uh, Dan Dennett and Linda Lascala did and the books that they've written. Uh, that became uh, the media became deeply aware of, of this. And of course, media will. Um, capitalize on things that are of uh, greatest interest or uh, whatever sexy at the time, I suppose, and not to put a negative cast on media. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, I think it, it caught a, a, you know, struck a nerve like, Oh, there's what, what, who, hmm? people who don't believe what they're preaching, what? Um, and then some, yeah, sometimes the, uh, the conservative uh, evangelical movement helps us. Uh, there's a gentleman uh, who's in a Southern Baptist organization that trashed us like mad all over the Internet. And uh, that was nothing but uh, helpful because it got the message out. <laughs> so so I think some of it is uh, a part of the times. Right. I think it's a part of the movement. Um, uh, I, I don't think that all the writings and the Internet and all these sort of things... Um, are, are the main reason the, the, the Pew research now shows that there, is, there are 23% now nuns when, when was it 207, something like that was done before, there were 14, and there, uh, we now actually have, there are actually more people who call themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, mm-hmm. uh, nuns um, than there are Catholics. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that's a lot of the movement. In America. Yeah, in America. Well, yeah, I'm just talking about the U.S. Because right. yeah. yeah. we, we actually are worldwide. Right. But I'm speaking mostly from the U.S. standpoint. Yeah. Last question I would ask you. If someone's listening to this and is an, an active member of the clergy and is interested in either taking part in your community or, or learning more, what would be your suggestion for, for their next steps for what they can really do to try to get some help? Yeah. Well, first, I would suggest they go to clergyproject.org. And you can read all about us up there, see statistics. But you can also see uh, a section that we started uh about six months ago, called Our Stories. So you can actually go on, and uh, those uh, men and women who have authorized it have their stories posted there, and they're also broken down by denomination. So if a person happens to be a Southern Baptist, you can go in and check out a few of the experiences of our members who are Southern Baptists or Mormon or you know whatever background you happen to be. We actually have a couple of members who are 
uh, Muslim in, in other countries and um, from other countries. But uh, that'd be the best place to go, and you can read all about it there. And then there is a uh, join section there, so a person can then fill out that form. And like I said, there are two requirements to be part of the clergy project. One is that you no longer uh, you know believe in the supernatural. We're not an evangelistic organization. We're not trying to to convince people that atheism is right. Mm. Uh, we aren't even concerned about atheism. We have humanists, agnostics. Mm. Everything is a part of it. They just don't believe in the supernatural. The other requirement would be that you were in some kind of professional religious service. So Mormons are not paid in the same way in many other positions of leadership or Jehovah's Witness or some other groups um, like you would be in the Presbyterian Church, let's say. So um, not everyone is ordained. <clears throat> but all of them were serving in a professional capacity. So we have a way of evaluating uh, Jehovah's Witness and Mormon and other groups that have a different type of religious leadership than you would experience in the uh, more traditional churches. Right. Uh, but so they just have to have been in professional ministry. So uh, we aren't there for people who were deacons or elders or very strongly involved uh, in their churches right. uh, if they were not in a professional capacity because we're simply not able to meet their needs. Right. We're trying to meet specifically the needs of those who have this common experience. The others we recommend go to uh, Recovering from Religion right. Foundation. Gotcha. Well, Terry, thank you so much for taking some time and talking about your story and the clergy project today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.